Welcome along everybody and it's a warm welcome to the latest edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast. My name is David Kushnan. I am head of content here at Leaders. With me, as always, John Porch, lead writer at the Leaders Performance Institute. John, hello. Hello, David. How's it going? It's quite busy here. We've got a lot on. We're looking forward to our latest Leaders uh, Sport Performance Summit coming up in November in London. And what we're going to hear in this episode of the podcast uh, links to that quite nicely, doesn't it? Because you are hitting the world of motorsport. That's right, David. I spoke to Eric Ernst, who's the head of technology at Formula E, and his role includes making sure that the innovations of the company are stable, that they're always continually improving, and finding efficiencies. Sounds like a great chat. What else was on the agenda? Well, he talked about surprises he's found along the way, such as he thought that things that were impossible have actually already been done. He also compares the world of Formula E and motorsport with sailing, as he came to Formula E from the Volvo Ocean Race. And he also talked about how working groups have facilitated much of the developments ahead of Season 5, which begins in December. And our listeners should probably look out for the Gen 2 cars in particular. There's going to be no mid-race changes this season. I know, and I am very much looking forward to that. And the reason this episode and Formula E links soon so neatly with our Leaders Performance Summit in London is because Formula E are our partners on an exciting new addition to the programme, the Innovation Lab, which has been created to provide a platform to connect creative new companies and their cutting-edge technologies with the performance decision-makers who can drive them forward. Essentially, what we're going to do, John, is offer uh, 15 successful brands the chance to engage with Formula E to pitch their product to solve a performance challenge. It's all going to happen uh, on November the 12th and 13th at the Sport Performance Summit, taking place, of course, at the Kia Oval right here in London. All the details of how to enter and how to come along are on the website. We've got a super speaker lineup as well. It's all coming together rather nicely. Fantastic. Coming up, Eric Ernst. Go, 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 go! Eric, welcome to the Leaders Performance Podcast. Thank you very much. And how did you come to be at Formula E then? And what were some of the challenges you initially faced upon your arrival? I believe you... Uh, were appointed in March, right? Yes, so um, I came straight off the uh, Volvo Ocean Race um, and I was actually, um, the Volvo Ocean Race involved a lot of travel and I have a family and I said, well, I want to keep on doing what I'm doing, which is event technology and, and, and technology matters within sports. And um, found this, this, this job at Formula E, applied for it and went back and forth and met uh, Alberto and, um, and we uh, got an agreement and I started working there right off the back of the Volvo Ocean Race. It was, uh, yeah, it was, I came in the middle of the season. My first race was Punta del Este, which I went to as, as a guest, I would say. Um, me being me, I went straight into work and started looking at what could we possibly to um, improve, do better, where are the problems, um, you know, it's impressive where these guys have taken this from four years ago to where it is now. So everything kind of works, which is nice, but um, I guess my job was to identify now where everything works, how can we make it stable and how can we improve it and, and, and innovate on top of it. Um, and it's not just technology's power as well, which, which is part of the department. Um, we, we probably consume the most of power as a technology department for television, for, for timing, for um, 
next to the car charging. So it was a bit of a legal, uh, not legal, uh, a logical um, choice to put power and technology into one department and run it for it. Um, also with the, all the metering that we're doing and, and data gathering to how much power we're using from what sources for what, how efficient are we doing this. So it's, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been quite a journey. It's been seven months, I think, so far. I've finished the season and we're about to go to Valencia for the test. We're testing the Gen 2 cars as a, as a whole fleet for the first time, if I can call it a fleet, <laughs> coming from sailing. And, um, and then in December, we'll be in, in uh, Riyadh, in Kingdom Saudi Arabia, for the first race of, of um, Season 5. Which I think if you've seen the Gen 2 car, it's going to put us in a total different space in motorsports. The car looks you know, amazing. Um, it has an amazing performance and it's going to be really interesting. Um, some of the things we're doing like attack mode and, um, and other, other things that we have planned. And when you came in, you rolled up your sleeves and got on with the job straight away. And it's now seven months down the line. Has have those seven months changed your expectations in any way? Have there been any surprises along the way that you weren't potentially anticipating? Well, I think if anyone would have told me this is what you're going to be doing for the next seven months, I would have probably not believed him. Um, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a unique job in a unique environment. Um, I, I had some expectations, but obviously being brand new to motorsports coming from, from sailing, you know, I, I kind of drawn out a plan of maybe how a couple of things are, but obviously they, they are completely different and, and we just had to adapt to them and that's what I've did. I've adapted to these changes and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's been a journey. I mean, things that I thought that would be really straightforward are extremely hard and things that I thought would be impossible have already been done. <laughs> so it's, it's really, I, I go into work every day with a, with a, you know, a clean, sheet of paper and say okay well let's let's see what we're going to do today let's see what's uh, what the challenges are today and um, what's going forward and, it, and it's really nice because it it gives me the opportunity also to to explore brand new things um, things that I probably wouldn't have thought of ever doing within the technology or, or power field or in modus or in technology or event technology at all and um, and then say, oh, let's try this. You know, let's we have this, this. Let's let's combine that. Let's let's try if we can get something out of this that helps us either for spectators, for the sport, um, for our sustainable um, championship that we want to do. Well, Formula E is seen as something of a catalyst for the automotive industry, uh, particularly with regards to electronic vehicles. Of course, um, this is we're approaching season five now. You, as you said. Um, how do you feel the organization's approach to innovation has evolved out on the track since its inception? Well, I can only talk about the last seven months uh, and, and, and the stories I've, I've heard from how it, how it all started. Um, I mean, the, the new car has the, the battery capacity to the full race now. And they've developed that um, in four years. They doubled the battery capacity and improve the performance of the car, which I think is, is, a, is an amazing achievement, just, you know, that alone. Um, the other fact is that we, what amazes me is that we get the right to race in the most amazing places. Um, they allow us to shut down, you know, key city parts 
buildup disrupted by building a racetrack in those you know hearts of cities and then race around them in high speed i mean in paris we're in in sacre coeur which is the probably the holiest place of paris next to the eiffel tower um, where um you know this the, the, the big church and the les invalides there um and we just put two kilometers of concrete blocks around it debris fences big screens and grandstands and the people come and race around it Zurich, Switzerland opened up their gates for us to come racing after banning motor racing for over 60 years after the terrible accident in, in Le Mans where 80 people got killed, you know, racing, single seat racing or racing per se was forbidden in Switzerland. And Zurich opened it up and we went back with the ever first um, racing series to return to Switzerland, which is an amazing achievement. And I think that is something that those are things that money can't buy. Those are things that you need to negotiate. You need to um, you need to prove that you are doing something that is different, and you are doing something that will improve the world and improve the the the, the climate and, and 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 bring something that is a win for everyone by promoting electric cars and by doing that through a championship that promotes electric cars are as good as combustion engines today. That's why those doors are being opened to you then, I guess. I think it's that. I think it's that people also are interested to see this and, 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 and interested in, in, a, in a new way of racing. You know, we've, we have some unique features in our championship that other ones don't have. I mean, next to the success of having a lot of manufacturers, probably even the most manufacturers in any other racing series, um, we can do things like increased performance of, of an individual car through a gamification. You know, we have the fan boost, where if you as a driver um, score the most likes or um, retweets, you get a, an, an instant boost on your battery, which puts you ahead of everyone for X seconds. In, um, in season five, we're introducing attack mode, which because we don't have a car swap anymore, we want to put in a strategic element again and we don't just want to do pit stops or, or tire changes because you know everybody else does that and our tires actually last for a full day so we have a mode where a driver has to go over a certain zone of the track where he actually loses time probably gets taken over while he does that but while going over that track his car gets an increased boost of 20 kilowatts for an additional four minutes so he has a lot more power than the guys in front of him and he can then use that in the sections of the track where he can actually overtake other people and this puts this puts a strategic element in a totally new level because teams are struggling to actually um do proper simulations on how does this work how many strategies do we need to achieve to go from from behind uh, or from a, from a, from a early using the, the attack mode to a late using the attack mode. So they can't use the simulations like they did with pit stops like in F1 because it's, 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 there's so many factors that play into, into it. How's the field evolving? Is the guy in front of me using attack mode? Is he defending, um, you know, how, what's his power outage? You know, is he, gonna, is he running his battery on a high mode, on a low mode? So there's, it, it, that's some really interesting parts that I think make us a really good um, entity to, to explore for cities and bring it to uh, television stations and even and even uh, city centres. Yeah, in other words, it's going to be a very entertaining season, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's it's definitely gonna be very entertaining because it's you know next to the attack mode, we're also changing that. It's every race is forty five minutes plus one lap, so we're not counting laps anymore, which is another another strategic thing that we've implemented that makes racing really really interesting because the, the, there's another strategic element that the drivers and the teams can play with. The the, the new car, uh, the the new venues we're going to are. It's 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 hard to say what's what's going to happen with the championship. And it's hard to say who's going to win and who's going to come out on top. You know, we've got brand new teams that are coming in, um, big teams that that arrive. BMW has just launched their car. Um, Nissan is coming, um, replacing Renault. Uh, there's some really big names with some really high goals coming into this championship, putting a lot of their knowledge into this and and lifting up the entire performance of. of the entire, the entire pit lane, because everybody has to step up their game to hold on to what's coming. And it seems like Formula E has never been in a stronger position. And at the organization, what is the thinking and the process behind how information and data are analyzed and applied? Um, you know, I mean, the, from a technology point of view, use information or you use a, the digital approach to create a platform for for fans to to share their passion with a team or to actually create a channel to talk to to drivers or to athletes um i think on, on a social media level where we're doing that really well by by trying to bring the drivers really close to our fans and then the spectators and also opening up a channel to the shareholders where they can talk to our fans and from a from a data analytical point of view, as a, as an organizational unit, we're interested to see how the cars perform on the tracks. You know, obviously these cars can go really really quick, but this is not Nurburgring where the curves are built to take three hundred kilometers an hour cars. You know, we're going around um, corners in Paris that are built to go around fifty kilometers an hour. So, I think for us the it's about getting that data in and looking how can we build tracks in urban areas that these cars can still drive around in a spectacular way. So that's the, you know, how do we develop the championship? Then there's a definitely a path to take the data and see how are the cars performing in a, in a, from an energy level. So how, are the, how well are the drivers managing their battery powers? What are the what are the reference points do they use? How does it change with different temperatures, weather influences? Um, how does it change when they're when the when the field is really packed or when it's in a split apart? And then we have other data streams next to the next to the cars, which is, for instance, all the gathering we have through the people that come into our e-village, uh, people that come into the event. How do they move around? What are they interested in? What do they look at? Um, and then it goes then down to an operational part where we monitor how much power we're generating from what sources to do what within the event space that we do. So how much do we use for charging cars? How much do we use to power a hospitality area? How much is used on the track to give us the infrastructure to run a race? And I think it's an all taking all those elements together and, and trying to find the little bits and pieces where we can improve. But also they may be using that data to enrich other media streams that we have to make a, uh, a 
different approach of how we how we show the race. So if you look at augmented reality, for instance, you know, with these data streams, we can add another layer on a live broadcast or even to a spectator as a, as a second screen experience where he can watch cars go past with an AR device, um, seeing different values that's interesting for him. Um, getting an analysis as if this guy takes over this guy, this is where he is in the championship. It's about defining those different streams and, and, and making them available and getting the right data out of it. Um, it's, it's something that for us is, I think, in, still in a, in a very junior level of, of development, but it's, it's definitely something we're, we're looking at and we're going forward because there's a lot of value in there and the numbers tell us where we're actually going to be going. So we should respect them and, and have a look at them and don't ignore them. Of course. And how large are the departments that you head up? I believe you said you head up two departments. Yeah, I mean, you can call it two departments or one big department. I'm not, I'm not big into structures. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm trying to get rid of silos and have people talk to each other. The, the team at the moment, when, when I arrived, there was one person full-time running technology. Um, we've updated that now to, I would say, five. Um, and there's different functions there. There's, there's obviously our technology department that runs our local technology for for our offices and, 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 and you know for our staff we got about 140 staff at the moment in Hammersmith and then there's another two to three roles that we use on the road to coordinate with our other integration partners um, the track build the uh, deployment of the giant screens the connectivity to broadcast and all those things. So there's some key roles at the moment. Wind and power is another two roles. But we, we have a lot, we work with a lot of different partners and those roles are basically management roles leading those integration partners to do what we would like to do um, you know, with their knowledge and their manpower and their equipment to actually build for us the, uh, the championship. And how does that compare with what you experience in the world of sailing in terms of the structure? Uh, we we ran it in a in a in a similar way in sailing. Um, the w w the problem with sailing is sailing is really hard to commercialize. And it's really hard to. There's a lot less money involved. I mean, if you look at the big sailing events like uh, the America's Cup or the Volvo Ocean Race, um, it's really hard to find a commercial model there that you can get sign up a sponsor over multiple years because the continuation is either there's a long gap in between races. So like the Volvo Ocean Race, for instance, there was a two-year gap between editions. And the America's Cup, as you might know, is whoever wins it gains a lot of rights to do it in whatever way he would like to do it within the, the deed of gift. So if you commit to a defending sponsor or a sponsor commits to you, um, that journey can be over really quick because if he loses the right to challenge the cup or the, the, the right to defend the cup, the cup could be going into a market space that you're not interested in as a sponsor. Or so, so it might it might be a boat class you're not interested in. So it's really hard in sailing to 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 catch the money. And for that reason, you have to keep the structure really really tight, and you and you have to be a lot more efficient than what we are doing in motorsports. You've got. Motorsports, the, the races themselves are closer together. So we have a race in the next season, we have a race almost every two, two and a half weeks. 
where in, in like in the World Ocean Race or in the America's Cup, the events are much more spread apart. So you have more time to get equipment from one point to another to get people to, to organize stuff. As you know, then the less time you have, the more money you need to use to actually get something. So there's definitely a lot more money involved in motorsports, just getting stuff done from a, from a structure point of view, I would say it's, it's very similar, just a, a bit of a different level in terms of size. Right, but there were some lessons you were able to take across? Yeah, definitely. I mean, some of the things that we've learned in, in sailing is, some, is, is that I'm, I'm definitely implementing in motorsports, and that is the approach that we do use roles within our company to guide in, integrators to help us build certain things. Uh, you know, I don't want to have 30 people in my department that work six, seven months on the championship, and then I have them six months in the office um, underoccupied or I have to let them go and then rehire them again. So I think that approach of getting partners in to help us build the championship, us running the design and the, uh, the philosophy and culture of how we want to do it, I think that's a totally right way of, of doing it. And then other events are doing that as well. This is not rocket science. Um, I think another thing we learned in sailing, and, and I think that's where, you know, for us, I think technology and, and media communication and marketing they're all kind of melting together into a, a digital space and the technology department today is not just the department that makes sure your printer's here and your wi-fi is up you know they're, they're involved in a lot of more different things throughout the entire championship and and i think it's what's what's interesting what we learned in sailing is that the, the technology um, departments can definitely help help the communication departments, for instance, or, or marketing departments, into giving them the right tools for the right channels for the media they want to post on. You know, make them understand or, or supporting them. Um, in you know, this is this is the format you use on Instagram. Um, this is the way we do a broadcast for Facebook, which is different to how we do it on television. Um, and, and, and I think those are things that we learned in sailing really well because we obviously didn't have the amount of personnel to, to build a communication department that big that you know they can just focus on these other Facebook people, these other TV people. Um, it was something that we actually came from a technology point of view. We supported all those different channels and, and, and got them through. And um, that's definitely something that we're pulling up here because it makes it more efficient and, and we can actually streamline a lot of processes throughout the entire organization like this. And you've said that you don't like the idea of departments and you don't like the idea of silos. I think you get a lot of uh, nods of approval within the world of sport for that last one in particular. Um, but how do you then work within your team to set priorities? Does everyone have a voice in the process? What does that look like? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously there needs to be structure for in any organization to, to get stuff done and there needs to be people taking responsibility for decisions. So I think a little bit of structure is always good. The, the way we do it at the moment or the way I do it in, within the departments that report to me um, is I run it pretty flat that everybody reports to me and that's easy to do if you have eight people you know it's not, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that we work in other organizations or even other departments that we have that are much bigger than, than the technology department but it's 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 about getting out of the silos and 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 having people network between departments you know doing doing working groups 
where the knowledge leader runs the project. And it doesn't matter what band the knowledge leader is in, he can run the project. He's the, he's the knowledge leader of what's being done here and he runs the project and obviously um, runs the communication the way he wants to run it at a, at a certain state. It's, um, you know, and then it's, it's from, from a managed perspective, from, from my perspective, it's about keeping an open dialogue with these people. So having, investing a lot of my time, having one-to-ones weekly with all of my employees, understanding where they're standing, what the challenges are, giving them more input about things that is happening in the organization, which is not maybe falling down to their level of, of um, where, they, where they work or people they communicate with making sure they're aware of things that are happening and, and goals that we want to achieve so everybody's still on track and then letting them go again and working and making sure that they have the right tools. And I think that's really, really important. We, we, one of the, I think, first kind of main goals that we wanted to achieve and that we, we were working hard on getting there is building an ecosystem within the company that everybody can has the tool to do anything they want to do. And they don't have to think about, mm, I want to... I want to do this and that, and then having to go onto Google and Googling, how do I do this? You know, the, the tools should be there and there should be the culture that they come and ask the technology department on, how do I do this? Can you help me with this? Instead of trying to, to build it themselves. And then we're, and I think that's something we're, we're really well doing by providing, you know, a, a good com- laptop, phone set up ecosystem that everything integrates to each other so they don't really have to deal with how do I log into this? How do I share this? Um, how do I download this? You know that that is really all straightforward and works really well, and they don't have to worry about is this backed up? Is this safe? You know, we let us take care of all of that, and, and let you do your work, and let's give you your your um, your tools that you're using. Let's get feedback if this is actually working for you, or maybe it's not working for you, and then we need to change the way we're doing it. And how do the working groups fit into your day-to-day? Will you be invited to other people's working groups? How will yeah. you get involved there? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I would buy some some stocks in some cloning companies soon because I do, <laughs> I do get a lot of invites to a lot of these working groups. Um, it's, I, I think the, the working groups that we have within the organization, this is not just technology, this is the, the way the organization grew and works. So it's a lot of, there's a really lot of young people and it's a very diverse field of you know, people from different countries and I think we're also really well 50% uh, male female within the company which is a really nice thing um, you know working culture and it's um, it's very open there's a lot of open door meetings where there's a working group and you know maybe that race is far away maybe you go listen to one working group and get some input and then you realize okay well that they're at that stage maybe I don't have to go to the next two and, and, and then you can feed in. And if one, someone thinks that you need to be part of it, they'll come and tell you and, and, and you walk in and, and you go through it. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a very efficient culture, I have to say. And, and you know, the, the, doing these races in cities is extremely hard. And there's a, so much logistics involved that it's almost hard to gasp everything that needs to be taken care of, just from, from permits, from logistics, moving concrete blocks around to putting containers in the right space at the right time, um, dealing with politics, with safety, with different departments that own different parts of the track, 
and then you know the closer you get to the race just to the whole overlay of technology and tv that comes above it accreditation ticketing uh, it's it's a it's a tremendous job that these people do and and you know they've they've done this for four years and they've you know they've exceeded their expectations every time every race happened every race was absolutely perfectly done so um you you can go and try to put everything in processes but the process will not allow you to actually fix those special things that you need to do in paris to get that working or you need to do in hong kong to get that working so it's a lot down to the individual of being having the you know being empowered to to make a decision or to do xyz to make this happen yeah if you would run this like a really a banking process structure it would probably not go very well because there will be so many red tape things flying around there oh, I can't touch this or oh, I can't make that yeah. decision I can't go there um, that would never work so that that's really a you know a high to how these people operate as a team their mentality and their, how they've been empowered by the organization to make the decisions to make it happen it enables you to have that agility doesn't it Yeah, and that's what you need to have because we need we need to adapt to the city. The city doesn't adapt to us. <laughs> and you talked about some of the innovations there's been for the new season ahead, some of the things that we can look forward to. In the development process, when they come about, how are they communicated to the teams? How is that information shared? How are development shared? Um well, if it's if it's part of what's happening with the teams so the teams are involved and there's a there's a a, um, a board that the team team members or team um, team leaders or, uh, join and then they talk about this with a sporting director with with Fred um, and and uh, and they discuss the changes they agree on them um, you know, the FIA is obviously involved as well because it's a sporting part so those are um, those are conversations we have as a as a group together and and something i think is really nice within and you you feel that when you walk through the pit lane is all the teams there's not a huge rivalry between the teams you know they're they're all very friendly to each other um obviously the fact that the cars are all very similar up to a certain amount you know they have limited parts that they can actually develop and put into the car um you know it's not like in, in in other racing series where you really have curtains everywhere and if you're caught in the wrong corner of the pit lane you might be considered a spy or someone with a bad attempt to, to uh, with an attempt to do something bad um and and i think that's really nice because you know we're just gonna we've done a couple of projects now where we've we've we're helping the teams to trying to leveling the field that teams with a little bit less money privateer teams have the same chance to exceed as manufacturer teams that have a lot more firing power from a budget perspective and we're doing things like one example now is track scanning um we have a company that we as formerly have appointed to do lidar scans of the tracks um and then we share we split the cost between the teams that are participating in getting this data package which they use later for their simulations which is the only way they can actually train other than the track days they have which are really really limited so we're giving 
a team that has you know very little budget compared to other teams the possibility to have the same kind of data set to to run their simulators on like a like a manufacturer team that you know there's absolutely no question that they would have that level of data and 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 there's you know and, and obviously everybody needs to agree at this and it's for me it was when we started this i was like well why would a manufacturer agree to help you know a privateer team that's not even his customer maybe he runs with another manufacturer you know i mean they're and and there was there was never a topic yeah, you know, they sat together and said, yeah, you know, let's do this, you know, and out of all, all the teams, you know, a majority of them signed up and, and helped each other and agreed on things together. You know, Can we do this? Yeah, okay, you know, um, and that's really nice and I really like how that works and that's, that means everybody's really behind the championship and everybody's behind the message of, of making this better and, and they all, they're putting their own agenda aside a little bit by helping each other move up because they understand that, yes, even the little teams will have a say or a um, a function to bring this whole championship and the value of it and the value obviously then of their team as well to a higher level. So there's a platform for the likes of drivers or mechanics, engineers to actually sit down together and map out some of their concerns, some of their uh, findings, some of their observations. Within the team, I think there's you know there's the teams are not very big. Um, especially the ones that come to the track, they're, they're quite limited. And I think that culture is, is pretty within them and the teams themselves, uh, the, the drivers themselves, they have their own kind of um, panel, they, they sit together. What we really deal is with the team, with the team principles. And the team principles are the voice of the team towards the other teams and FIA and us as, as, for, as the formerly organization. And, and those are the discussions that, you know, they have on a, on a sporting level. And you say you entered a new role here. Um, have you felt that your job description has changed at all or evolved in the last seven months? Job descriptions are like uh, wish lists for Santa Claus sometimes, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and no disrespect to whoever wrote um, the one that, that I answered to. But uh, yes, it, 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 it definitely has changed. And, and I think that's nice, you know. I think, you know, a job description is an entry point into a job. And it is a bit, it's, it's about trying to find that one person, that one role that answers your immediate needs that you have within your company and, and, and has, a, has the possibility to grow in it, you know, um, making it high level. And I know it well because I'm, I'm trying to hire a lot of different roles at the moment and it's the hardest thing is to, how do I put my vision into, you know, 40 lines of, on a paper, this is who I'm looking for, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm all about mindset, you know, people really need to have the right mindset. I don't really care if your networking skills are not top, if you are not a great programmer, but if you are absolutely on top um, motivational and mindset and you come every day in just wanting to win, I will, I can teach you or we can teach you anything you need to know. You know, um, and a mindset is really hard to put into a a job description. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but you obviously have some sort of key core values that you adhere to. Yeah, I mean the the I think core values are definitely you know um, humble and 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 hunger to 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 go after new things. You know, just because something works doesn't mean that it has to stay that way. 
like the way we're doing it not it has to stay working yes don't get me wrong but it doesn't have to this is not the last implementation of we're doing things you know we're not building airplanes or, or helicopters where we certify something and then it, that's the way it is for the next 30 years um i'm i'm very keen and i really like driving the departments that um that report to me to look at everything we're doing and keep on moving it forward you know um, okay we've done this this works now what how do we do this even better what you know or how does this connect to something different you know if you look at look, let's take an example timing today timing is done by you have a loop cut into the road the cars drive over with a with a, um, a sensor and that sensor picks up at zero point zero 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 one second accuracy your timing um, yeah great okay that works that's a really simple way of doing timing a very efficient way as we're working like that for the last 20 years but it doesn't really need to be like that you know with all the technology we have today cars should know where they are up to a centimeter or to a millimeter on the road where they are every time of the day so why can't the cars do the timing for us? You know, why can't we not, instead of having timing loops and sectors, just having times throughout the entire track? You know, you want to know how, how far forward someone or how advanced someone is from another driver. You could have a live update, you know, over the entire track. How many seconds is he gaining or losing, you know, um, and take that whole infrastructure out of the road take the whole networking you need out of the road and then just connect to the car and have the car talk to you about where it is and what what time it is where you know and and those are you know those are ideas where you know people are like okay you're nuts but you know if you if you if you look at them with 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 engineers that are doing you know blockchain and and 5g you know the, these possibilities are here today we could absolutely do these things you know and then you and then you start rethinking the racing format because today we go in circles why do we go in circles? Well, one thing is for the timing. Another thing is that we can show the spectators the cars over and over. But, you know, if you do a race, for instance, like a, a rally that goes from point A to B, um, it's a straight it's a s straight distance from, from city A to city B. Um, you don't need time loops then. You can actually get the time on a checkpoint, but you can get the time after the first meter the cars left the start line all the way to the end. You know, are, just by talking to the car. There are direct implications for performance. Performance in... Of the vehicles, um, of the uh, strategies, the tactics that teams might be able to use. Yeah, I mean, the more data you get, the more decisions you can make, right? Well, you think you can make. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's, there's always then, you know, the, the information overload where you, you get a lot of different channels of data and you need to have something to overlay it to make the right decisions and, and give you the right amount of, of, um, of overview of what's happening, you know, long term and short term, you know. I mean, um, a lot of the data today is all based on moments. You know, a lot of the AI engines give you give you a, a, a perspective on a moment of where what happened then you know very few of them actually have the cap capability to actually show you a, a long-term vision of where things are happening because it's very complex because there's you know so many different factors accounting into it you know it could be raining further down the track you know, how much rain is dropping how much will it dry until that car gets there 
you know, um, you know, the computer will go and give you 35 different options for that one, which is then engaged by another 35 options further down the road. So you end up with a couple of million possibilities of what could happen. How do you decide which one it's going to be, you know? And is that really then part of a sport anymore? <laughs> and people inevitably make comparisons with Formula One. But I imagine those sort of comparisons are not particularly helpful to you and perhaps not even in your thinking. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think the biggest comparisons to Formula One is because of the, the, a, the way the car looks, B, the, the single-seater approach, and obviously because we are trying to be, you know, uh, a Tier 1 uh, motor racing, or we are a Tier 1 motor uh, racing championship. Um, you know, I... I don't like putting ourselves next to Formula One. I think Formula One is doing their own thing in, 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 a, in a great way with a massive amount of, of history and heritage, um, which, you know, in a way, they've paved the way where we are today as well um, by, by putting motorsports at that level that we all want to achieve. Um, obviously, there's, you know, back and forth of we're looking at what they're doing and they're looking at what we are doing. and But I don't think it's a rivalry or, you know, that we're, I think it's just a, a mutual respect that you know they're doing this and, and we're doing that and you know they've been on the block a lot longer than we have they obviously have a much bigger fan base and a lot more money involved and but I don't think that ever means that we're not as good or or, or we're never going to be as good as them and it's only been seven months that you've been in this role now of course but what do you feel have been some of your successes so far to ask my boss um, <laughs> that's that's really hard I, mean, I think I think um, that's a really tough question um, there's been so many projects there's been so much work um, and I think everything is aligning understanding how this whole championship works where it's going starting to line up the different technologies so we're ready for the next season to make this more efficient, to minimize the impact we have when we go into a city racing. You know, if, if one of my goals is if we can, from a technology point, just minimize the time we need to build everything. You know, I think that has a great impact on us because there's less people traveling, less long. Um, we probably then can pull other things together that makes our impact not you know we don't have to be a week building a track maybe we can do it in four days um, you know and it's about optimizing how things work show over showing departments how processes are put together so they can identify with their knowledge what they're best in, in logistics or in safety oh we can we can do this much better we can do that much better and I think that's I think that's somewhere where you know, I wouldn't call it success yet, but I think that's where we're on a really good path at the moment of, of really taking the process of building a race apart and making it highly efficient and having the, all these experts that build tracks today and build these races, giving them a tool that they can actually oversee of where are we going and, and, and what is happening in different races. Why is, it, why is it much faster in one area than it is in another area? Um, I think that, you know, I think that's going to be, uh, you know, hopefully by end of season five, we can look back and say, yeah, season five, we did this a lot more efficient than we did it in previous seasons. And we probably did a lot more, you know, 
um, with 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 the same amount of people. Um, other than that, other than that, I mean, you know, day to day job, just just getting getting stuff done, making sure everyone's life is as easy as possible, you know, and and uh, bringing ideas and and um, making sure they they turn around and they have a value for everyone. Well, it sounds like your description of your successes so far are very much linked to your hopes for ne- hopes and expectations for the season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's you know there's. There's definitely a lot of new things we're going to introduce in Riyadh, which have a technology background. You know, the, the attack mode has a has a has a leg in technology that if that doesn't work, then we failed. Um, there's the the live ghost racing, where we uh, we have a game from uh, virtually live where you can drop into a live racing telemetry stream, so you can pick up your iPad or your iPhone and as the race starts in Riyadh you can start racing with the real drivers in a video game next to you. You know, and that obviously has a very big delivery by us as well because we need to stream the telemetry to the gaming studio where the telemetry is restreamed to all the players. Um, we're doing a lot of different things in broadcast. We're trying to um, add some, some more functionality to broadcast and an IP base and internet base. So there's there's a lot of new projects coming that are not nothing has a massive impact like the Gen Two car will have, but there's all, you know. There's all little 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 legs in in a lot of little projects that we're just trying to do things a lot better. In a really different world from sailing. Yes, a much drier world. <laughs> <laughs> Less salt as well. Eric, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you very much for having me.